Welcome to the Desert Life Church podcast. We're so excited you've tuned in to hear our weekend message. From wherever you are listening, we hope you're inspired by this message. As Ben said, my name is Eli and yeah, my wife Majella and I, we moved to Alice Springs at the start of this year and has been an absolute uh, amazing year for us. It's an incredible growth um, that we have seen personally, and uh, it's just been an incredible privilege to be a part of uh, DLC. And it's an incredible uh, privilege tonight to bring you the Word of God and to bring you around the Word. And, and I want to just start with the most incredible passage of Scripture that I think you may ever read. And it comes straight from Psalm 148. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's only short. So, Come with me in it. It says this in Psalm 148. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord. In the, praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. And you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures. And all the ocean's depths. Lightning and hail. Snow and clouds. Stormy winds. Do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals, cattle, small creatures, flying birds, kings of all earth and all nation, you princes and you rulers on earth, young men, maidens, Old men, children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up His people a horn. The praise of all His saints of Israel, the people close to His heart. Praise the Lord. What an incredible passage of Scripture. And what just an incredible list of things that God set about to praise Him that were created with the sheer purpose to give Him praise. And so what better way to start to see the magnitude of God and His creation and to explore the things that were created to praise Him. So tonight, if you'll come with me, we're going to go on a journey. And and if uh, if you've got a notebook or, or you're taking notes on your phone, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to put it away. I don't want you to take notes tonight. I want you to sit back and, and relax and just listen. Because my goal tonight is for us to just see the incredible magnitude of the creation that God so perfectly designed. My goal tonight, simply put, is, is I want you to go, wow. Is that cool? Can we go wow tonight, church? You don't have to say it. You haven't said anything amazing yet, so... But it's good that you know how to say it, all right? Keep that in the back of your mind because I hope that at some stage tonight, you just go, wow, how amazing is our God? 
Because what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through the, the, seven, well, the six days of creation. We're not going to be too worried about the seventh one because God didn't do much there. But those first six is what we're going to focus on. And we're going to go through each day of creation. We're just going to have a look at what God did. And tonight, I, I, I'm probably not going to give you some uh, brand new theological way of thinking. I'm probably not going to give you a passage of scripture that you've never looked at a particular way and, and it's going to challenge you for weeks and weeks to come. I'm probably not going to do that. Tonight, I'm actually going to be taking, and stay with me on this, I'm probably going to be taking a bit more of a scientific approach. I know that word is a bit of a no-no sometimes in church, okay? But I, I want to have a look at the creation that God made in depth because what we have to remember is that the science that occurs on earth and all the laws of physics and the laws of nature that we see were intricately designed by an almighty God. And so the more that we look at science, the more that we can start to see just how creative and how smart our God actually really is. In fact, there's a, 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 a scientist, his name's William Bragg. He's dead now, but he was cool when he was alive. And he won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1915. And he said once, uh, he was asked, because he was a Christian, you know, how are you a scientist and a Christian when God and science kind of oppose each other? And he said, I believe that God and science oppose each other the same way that your thumb and your forefinger oppose each other. And between them, you can grasp everything. I really liked that. I thought it was cool. There was another guy, he's still alive. His name's Francis Collins, and he's the director of the National Institute of Health in America. Basically, the boss of health. That's a pretty big title. And he's a Christian man as well. And he has once said that God and science work together to illuminate each other. And it's so powerful when you start to see how amazing the creation is that God made. And so if you'll come with me on a journey tonight, a scientific uh, take on, on God's creation, and we'll start to have a look at just how amazing it is. Will you come with me, church? Cool, because you don't really have a choice. I wasn't... I didn't have anything else written down, so <laughs> banking on a yes. We're going to start right at the very beginning in Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 1, the first sentence in the Bible, and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God creates everything. Now, in order to understand this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say another word that you're not allowed to say in church, and that's we're going to look at the Big Bang Theory real quick. I know everyone kind of like tenses up. And goes, Don't say it. Big Bang Theory basically says that, that before everything was there, there's like this, this little ball of matter, uh, sorry, energy, and it's kind of like doing these ones. It's really unstable. It's not, not really a very good way to hold energy. And one day, this little ball just goes... And it shoots out energy at such an incredible rate that matter starts to get created. We don't have the earth like we have today, like this beautiful thing that works. It's just matter getting sent out at immense speeds across the cosmos. And we can see this, we can explain this through an equation uh, coined by Albert Einstein called E equals MC squared. And it's called the energy-matter equivalence. What this does is this explains that energy and matter have a relationship and they're interchangeable. What we can actually do is we can take energy, we can take matter and convert it to energy, and we can take energy and convert it to matter. Now, matter to energy is really easy. We do that all the time. You put fuel in your car, you're taking something and you're turning it into energy. We do that all the time and it's easy. Energy to matter is a different story. It takes immense amounts of energy and it takes incredible speed 
for you to be able to take energy and convert it to matter. And this is what happens right at the very beginning of the universe. This is what science would tell us is that the Big Bang Theory explodes and energy gets shot out at such an incredible rate that we get stuff. And then over billions and billions and billions of years, things start to evolve and we end up with, you know, single-celled organisms and multi-celled organisms and then, you know, we get invertebrates and vertebrates and all this sort of stuff and then we end up with the world that we have today. That's evolution. Over billions of years, we have a formless, empty sort of space and then over billions of years, form starts to come to the formless. Order starts to come to the chaotic. But we know from the Bible, the very first sentence, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Can you imagine with me for a second when God opens his mouth to speak the whole universe into being? Can you imagine how much energy comes out of the mouth of God? Can you imagine when he speaks creation? into being. Can you imagine how much and how fast energy just comes running out of his mouth? E equals MC squared. God starts to form this law and says, you know what, this is how this could work. But that's just speculation and I know what you're thinking. You're going, it's just speculation, you know, that's a good idea. It's a nice picture. But let's read on and it says this, it says, the earth was formless and empty. That word formless, in the original translation, actually, the word was chaotic. God created this formless, chaotic place, and then over six days, He starts to bring form to the formless. He starts to bring order to the chaos. Starting to sound a little bit similar to something we were just talking about before. Now, I am not getting into whether it was six literal days or six periods of time and all that. I, I, personally, I really don't care. All I want to see is that actually we've got these two worlds that we think are so opposite, but actually, hold on, maybe we're just sort of differing on an, on an origin here. Maybe, maybe, maybe what God is doing here is actually going, you know what, I'm going to show you how this works. I'm going to start to put this in place. And all I want to do here from the very beginning is go, well, maybe, maybe God and science aren't quite as far apart as we thought they might be. Maybe God actually goes, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you some scientific laws here. I'm going to start making some stuff so that the universe works. And in verse 3, we keep, we keep reading and it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Big first day for God, right? He created everything and then made light. So it's a pretty hectic day for him. But I just want to look at light for a second. Because light is cool, okay? First of all, the reason light is cool is because it's really, really fast. Real fast. Light travels at 1.08 billion kilometers an hour. Really? When I read that, I was like, what? You guys obviously drive a bit faster than me. 1.08, do that on Tuesday. You want to know how fast 1.08 billion kilometers an hour is? If you were to go to Darwin, okay, you're going to walk to Darwin. It'll take you about 12 and a half days walking. You're going to go by car, about 15 hours. You drive with my wife, it's going to take you 12. If you go by a plane, roughly give or take two and a half hours, right? If you want to travel to, the, to, to Darwin at the speed of light, you ready for this? It'll take you five one thousandths 
of a second. Whoa, yeah, now we're getting some woes. You want to know how fast five one thousandths of a second is? Do me a favor, right? Just grab your, grab your hand and just click for me. Do you know that took 10 one thousandths of a second to make that snap? In the time it takes you to snap your fingers, you've gone from Darwin and back. That is fast. That is real fast, I tell you. But that's not the reason that I think light is really cool. The reason light is cool is because it has to come first. God had to make light first because light governs everything. Light in our, in our, in our world governs growth. It governs speed. It governs distance. It governs time. The reason the light governs all this is because light is the only thing in our universe that is constant. It, light is constant for all observers. But light governs time. This is really cool, okay? Because as you move, time moves slower, right? So I'm walking across the stage. Time is moving slower for me than it is for you. But because my speed is so small compared to uh, the speed of light, we don't notice it. But if we were to travel a bit faster, I was to take James and I was going to chuck him in a rocket and I'm going to send him out to space for five years at 99.94% the speed of light. For five years, he travels out. He goes there, and after five years, he turns around and he comes back home. In that time, traveling at 99.94% the speed of light, James has aged 10 years. And on Earth, 29 years have passed. Isn't that great? What? Light also, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what else light does. Light governs weight. Now, since, uh, since last year, this is only brand new. So last year, November last year, they found out and they, they installed this idea that light could change weight. So that there is the international kilogram prototype, okay? Big K, they call it. And it's in a pressurized bunker outside of Paris somewhere. And that's the official kilogram weight. But that was really annoying because every time you want to bake a cake, you've got to fly to Paris to be able to weigh your flour and then come back to bake your cake. So they thought that was silly. So they made a whole bunch of prototypes and they sent them out to all different countries and then after about 10 or 20 years they, they brought them back together just to cal calibrate them and not one of them weighed the same because over time things oxidize and stuff happens and so things get different weights and depending on where you are in the earth things change weight and it's all it's all a mess of problems so they went well you know what what's constant light is constant so now using a whole bunch of different complex equations and, and electromagnetic magnetic quantum scales and all sorts of business I'm not going to go into it because it's super boring but now they can use light you're all probably thinking like really that boring now they can use light to actually measure weight. And this is amazing because light is the thing that governs everything and it has to come first in God's creation. And you know what I love about light is there was a person in the Bible who was called the light of the world. And he's the one that governs everything. He's the only one that is constant. It took us so many years to get to the stage where we realized that our physical object, this thing that we had made, wasn't going to work properly. And it wasn't until last year, November last year, they went, you know what, this light thing, this is what we have to get our hands on because this is the thing that's really going to matter. This is the thing that will never, ever, ever change. And this is what happens with Jesus, <laughs> is we do the things that we think will work and sooner or later it's not going to work out quite as well as we hoped. But the one that we can turn to, the one that is constant for all observers, is Jesus. The light of the world. Light had to come first, but that's not where God stopped. Verse 6, 
we move on. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of heaven from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of heaven. God called the space sky. Evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. God made sky. He made space. This is my favorite part of this. Because God made space. Now, this is not just a God made space. Good, good day. This is a God-made space, right? Remember how we traveled at the speed of light before? Let's do it again, okay? 1.08 billion kilometers an hour, right? We're going to travel there. So we've got to go to Darwin first because you can't get an international flight from Alice Springs. So you've got to go to Darwin to get on a plane. So that takes you five one-thousandths of a second and you're at Darwin. Sweet. Now we're going to travel out to space. So at the speed of light, we're going to get to our sun in about eight minutes, Don't stop there, you'll die. (laughs) We keep going, we're going to get to the edge of our solar system, our cluster of planets orbiting our sun. We're going to get to the edge of our solar system, that's going to take us about ten and a half hours to get to the edge of our solar system. And in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, did you know there's a hundred billion solar systems just like ours across the Milky Way galaxy? So let's keep going. Let's go to the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. This is what it looks like. The edge of the Milky Way galaxy at the speed of light is going to take you 100,000 years to get to the edge of our galaxy. That's not even the universe. We're not even there yet. To the edge of our galaxy. To go from here to the edge of our galaxy, 100,000 years to go across it. That's where we are, by the way. And then in our observable universe, there's between 100 to 200 billion galaxies just like ours. So do a bit of quick maths here with me. If you want to travel at the speed of light across the entire observable universe, it is going to take you 93 billion years. 93 billion years to get to the edge of the observable universe. There are not enough wows going on here, church. Come with me on this. This is cool. This is huge. Okay? You're not wowing yet, so I've got to blow your mind again. All right? So that's just, I hear what you're saying. You're like, well, what's the observable universe? I know you're asking the question. Okay? I do this to my kids at school all the time. I'm like, well, you're asking. No, we're not, mister. We're going outside. <laughs> no, please. All right. To the edge of our, so we can only see so much because light's only traveled so far, right? So there has to be something beyond it. Now, they've come up with this uh, idea. It's called cosmic inflation theory. Basically, this means that the universe is expanding, but because it's expanding, there has to be a point where it just stops. Okay, so they've made, it's an educated guess, all right? It's a theory, okay, but it's pretty educated, and uh, it's what most reputable scientists will go off, this cosmic inflation theory. And cosmic inflation theory gave us a number of how big they think our actual universe is. Do you want to see it? Yeah, good, thank you. (laughs) I put a lot of time into it. Ready? This is how big, how many years it would take you to get across our our universe at the speed of light. 93 decillion years. Decillion, that's 36 zeros up there. Do you know how long it took me to type that? 36 zeros, okay, but I can't wrap my head around that number, okay, so I've, I've, I've prepared a demonstration for you, can you see that, kind of, that right there is one centimeter cubed, now, if I was to take 93 decillion of these little guys, 
and I was to chuck them on the floor and I was to lay them out on the ground. 93 decillion centimeters squared, cubed, sorry. That would be enough little blocks to cover the entirety of Australia, 11 meters deep. That, yeah, that's a big number, right? This is a big number that God made the universe this size. This is a huge universe, but it's an even bigger God. And church, I want to know, are you starting to feel a little bit insignificant right now? I, I, I sure as heck am. But if you're not feeling insignificant now, let's, let's keep moving on. Because I think you will get to that stage. In verse 9, God's finished making the sky, the space. He's, he's moving on. He says, Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, trees that grow, seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. There are many, many cool plants, but I'm not really that into it. So we're looking at the ocean now God said let the waters gather in one place so he invented this thing called the ocean now the ocean is heck scary right it's fully scary you know why because we've explored more of Mars than we have our own ocean we've explored more of our moon than we have our own ocean but the ocean's cool for a number of reasons one it's it's where 50% of our oxygen comes from so you get rid of the ocean we're dead 94% of all life, plants and animals, is aquatic. 94%, right? But of that 94%, we've only discovered one-tenth of these species because we've only explored 5% of our ocean. We've only seen 5% of it. Imagine what scary creatures are out there. Pirates of the Caribbean, cracking anyone? Don't go there, it's scary. There's a reason, though, we haven't explored much of our ocean. And it's because it's really, really, really hard to get down there. And it's simply because the pressure at the bottom of the ocean is a thousand times greater than it is on the surface. A thousand times. Now, that's not really all that impressive if we don't know what the pressure is here. So that means that's eight tons per square inch. Go. Peter, your phone broke. Ah, wait, no. Oh, yeah, it worked. Eight tons per square inch. A little inch. There's eight tons on there. Right, you're still not impressed. Here's what that's the same as. If you were to lay down on the ground and I was to come over and drop 50 Boeing 47s on your chest. 50 Boeing 747s dumped on top of you. That's what the pressure is down there. You're not coming back. That's why we don't go down there because it's scary, right? But God just said, you know what? I need something to separate this land. So I'm just going to make this enormous ocean, this crushing depths, this place that is so incredible. Are you starting to feel a little bit insignificant? 
Come with me. Let's, let's go to the very, the, the bottom, the, the furthest part of the ocean, the, the lowest part of the ocean is the Mariana Trench. So let's, let's, just, let's just go there for a second. There's a little submarine. We're going to jump in. Okay, so it's really fun. So we go down 40 meters, all right? That's about where you're going to get as a scuba diver. You're not going to go much further than that. It's not really much more down there. That's where the cool, the best life is, okay? Then we keep going down 301 meters. This is the Eiffel Tower. That's pretty deep, okay? The Eiffel Tower is obviously upside down in the ocean. <laughs> keep going down. This is the deepest that blue whales can dive, 500 meters. That's pretty far, Okay, at this stage, it's, it's pretty dark, but we've still got a little bit of sunlight. So let's keep going to where we can't see a thing. A thousand meters is where sunlight stops. So now it is pitch dark. You cannot see anything. So we're going we're gonna to keep going down to the, to the deepest part of the Grand Canyon, which is a long way down. 1,800 meters down is the lowest point of the Grand Canyon. But we keep going and we're going to find nothing. The average depth of the ocean is just over 4,000 meters deep. That's the average depth. So we're not even at the deepest part yet. We keep going. We skip a lot of stuff. And we get to, if you took Mount Everest and you flipped it upside down and you dunked it in the ocean, it gets to 8,000 something and something. and 8,850. I forgot that one. But we're not even at the bottom yet. So we've got to keep going further and further. You get to just over 10,000 meters, 10 kilometers under the ocean, which is where uh, James Cameron got to in uh, 2012. He dived down there. But then uh, in 1960, uh, Jacques Picard and Don Walsh dived a little bit further. And then we get to the very bottom of the Mariana Trench, which is just over 11 kilometers under the earth. 11 kilometers deep. Isn't that wild? Isn't that just, oh, he's starting again. <laughs> we don't want to do it again. Isn't that insane? Are you starting to feel insignificant, church? But we move on. Because God did. We get to verse 14 and God says, Let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. That's the sun and the moon. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. So God makes all these things in the space. He makes the sun, which is pretty cool. He makes the moon, which isn't quite as cool. But my favorite sentence in this whole passage, right, it says this. It says, God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. It's like a throwaway. He also, he just made them. He made two and thought, well, I better, got heaps of time left. Let's just chuck some more up there, eh? Like, it's just a throwaway line. Like, and he also made the stars. Do you, do you want to see what God just also made? I'm glad my wife does. <laughs> Everyone else is like, no, there's food. <laughs> Let's go, man. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. I'll tell you the rest of the story later. It's really interesting. <laughs> 
I've actually, I've got to tell you, I've got a friend who, um, who's really into this sort of stuff with me as well. And the amount of times I've come home and be like, hey, Magella, guess what? Like, I was reading this thing today and it was really cool. So if you go out into space and she's like, can you just tell Zach, like, not me? <laughs> she's like, I don't care. I was like, all right. So now I have to build it all up till I see my friend. Anyway, we want to see what God also made. Okay, there is a thing called the Hubble Space Telescope. It's every sing- basically every picture that we see from space or most of the pictures that we see from deep space come from the Hubble Space Telescope. And in uh, 1995 and 2003, uh, what they did was they took the Hubble Space Telescope and they pointed it to a very specific point in the sky. So they took it and they aimed it at a piece of sky that looked like just a dark, empty patch. The space was actually so small... I don't know if you can see that one. That's a needle. The space was so small that if you hold a needle in your hand and hold it out at arm's length, the space was the size of the eye. Go home tonight and grab a needle, stand outside, and look up at the sky to a dark patch through that little eye. Do it, and you'll start to see what the Hubble Space Telescope was looking at. But that's not the cool part, because you can do that and you're not going to see anything, and so that's boring. So do that once and then throw it away. But the Hubble Space Telescope looked at that spot. They looked, looked at it for 10 days, didn't, take its, didn't move off it, just focused on that little dark spot of sky. In fact, that part of the sky is actually one thirteen millionth of the sky, right? Pretty, pretty tiny part. So it looked at it for 10 days. It took in as much light as it could, it took in everything it could. And this is the picture that it saw. Right? This, this, is, this is unbelievably cool. This is the picture that the Hubble Space Telescope saw when it looked at a dark, small patch of sky. And that's pretty cool on its own. Take water for effect. Plus I'm parched. So. In that picture... You can see there's, there's two stars. They're the ones that kind of like look like they've got a bit of a cross, like a bit of a lens flare looking thing. That's, that's two stars. Everything else in that picture is a galaxy. Not even just a star. It's a galaxy. You know that one that took us 100,000 years to get across? That's every dot bar two in that picture. And every single galaxy has millions and millions and millions of stars that God just also made. <laughs> what a God, right? <laughs> but stars are nice, they're pretty, but they're actually not. They're big, giant, burning balls of death, right? <laughs> I've, said, I've said the word death from stage too much tonight, so. <laughs> stars are big, right? So our, our closest star is our sun. Now, our, star, our, our sun is 1.3 million times bigger than our Earth. Okay, this is our solar system to scale. So that big guy's our sun. And then you've got the two sort of bigger planets. That's Jupiter and Saturn. And then you can kind of see some smaller planets getting along. Can you see the one that's like third from the left? That little tiny dot that's like third from the left. That's Earth. You're starting to feel a little bit insignificant. And that's just in our solar system. So let's have a look at some of these stars that God just also made. Here's our sun. There's a little guy. He's exciting. We've got Sirius. He's, yeah, I am deadly serious. He's actually a bit of a joker, so that's pretty funny. 
So you've got Sirius, you've got Pollux. These are some other big stars that we've, we've seen, but they're not that big. We've got Aldebaran. He gets bigger. And then we've got Rigel. Look at him, he's a big guy. But then we see... <laughs> Pretty sure tonight I'm just having a good time and everyone else is just watching Eli. <laughs> watching Eli just get excited. But then there's this guy called Beetlegeese. Look at him! How wild is that? He's huge! He's just massive! But that's not even the biggest one. The biggest one we found is a guy called uh, V.Y. Canis Majurus. Oh, yeah. You know he means business. His name's Canis Majurus. From now on, that's Pastor Ben's nickname, so... Canis Majurus, this is how big Canis Majurus is. That's our sun, and that circle is our orbit. That's what takes us a year to do. That's the biggest star that we've found. They speculate that there are bigger ones out there, but that's the biggest one that we've found. And there are billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of stars just like this across our universe that God just also made. How wild is that? Are you starting to feel insignificant? (laughs) But God didn't stop there. So now God comes to to the earth and he says this in verse 20 he says let the waters swarm with fish and other life let the skies be filled with birds of every kind so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird producing offspring of the same kind and God saw that it was good then God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth and evening passed and morning came marking the fifth day God said, let the earth abound with living creatures. There are many, many amazing creatures that God created and put on our earth. But my all-time favorite has to be the octopus. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? The octopus. The octopus is cool for a number of reasons. First reason is it's the smartest of all the invertebrates. But that's not that impressive because invertebrates as a group are kind of dumb. So... You, we aren't invertebrates, by the way, just <laughs> leave you out there. If you're an invertebrate here, I apologize, but that's just the, as a classification, you don't do much, right? So that's not a, that's not a big claim to fame, but, but the octopus, each arm can literally think for itself, okay? There are neurons in every single tentacle of an octopus. There's eight tentacles. Every single tentacle has a whole bunch of neurons so that each arm can actually just do what it wants to do. It can just think for itself. Imagine that. Imagine if your arm could think for yourself and you're just standing there one day and, and I was like, what are you doing? You're like, I don't know, man. He just, <laughs> he's, he's wild today. <laughs> That's what an octopus lives with every day. Feel for the man. The next thing an octopus does is the octopus actually uses jet power, which is really cool. So jet power basically sucks up air and then shoots it out. So what an octopus does is, you know how it's got like those little sucky things on its, its tentacles? Like, usually those things uh, like shoot out ink. What these ones actually do is, is they can sometimes, if they want to go fast, they, they like suck in water and, and they shoot it out 
backwards. So they're like, through the ocean. I thought it was cool. Anyway. The other cool thing that an octopus can do is, is it can actually regenerate. So if you chop off its arm or its tentacle, it can regenerate. Imagine that. Imagine if you could do that. What a party trick that would be. But that's not the reason that I think octopus is so cool. The reason I think is because of its amazing ability to camouflage. We're going to just show you these videos before I tell you about its camouflage. And your child, you've got to sp spot the octopus before it appears, right? Watch this one. See him. Whoa! Where'd he come from? Right in front of your eyes. Isn't that amazing how quickly he changes color? Watch this one. This one, uh, this one shows us how it can change shape too. So it goes into some coral. Whoa! Amazing! What a creature! can camouflage so quickly, and, and camouflage is not new, we, we, lots of creatures do it, but, but the octopus does it so quickly because of a really simple little design that God put in its skin, and there's these things called chromatophores, and these chromatophores, if you would imagine like sort of a half-filled balloon, and you fill it with like ink, and then you squeeze the balloon, what happens is all that ink goes to the top, and so the balloon changes color, and then if you release it, the ink drops to the bottom, and so you can't see the color anymore so these chromatophores are filled with this colored pigment you know reds blacks oranges browns yellows all these sort of things and so when the muscle contracts it shoots the pigment to the top which changes the color immediately and then if it wants to go back to its original color it just releases and it all just drops to the bottom it also has these things called iridophores, and these are like reflective sort of things that that, that create like silvers and golds and 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 amazing shiny colors and then it has these things called luciophores, which are just like mirrors on its skin. And so they reflect the like, environment around it. So with these three little things that God has put into its skin, the octopus is one of the greatest camouflaging animals on the planet. But then recently, in 1998, we discovered this thing called the mimic octopus. And this is the first animal that we have ever seen mimicking other animals. Most of the time, animals in camouflage will just sort of mimic its surroundings. But the mimic octopus decides to mimic other animals. Ready? Watch this video. This makes me giggle. Look at that guy. That's an octopus. <laughs> Running along the floor like a sea sponge, like something of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> How cool is that? See this other one? So they've observed it are looking like a flatfish, like a poisonous flatfish. This one's really quick, so I'll try and play it a couple of times. Look at that. I'll play it again. Whoa. And just expands so quickly. And this, is, this one, uh, it's, it's been seen looking, trying to look like a sea snake. So it goes into like a hole in, in the sand and then it shoots out two tentacles, changes its color so it looks like a venomous sea snake and then just kind of sits there. Look at that. What an amazing creature. What an amazing animal that God created, what incredible skill that God gave it, what incredible instinct, what incredible biology and makeup did God give that octopus? Are you feeling insignificant yet in God's creation? So we've just finished the fifth day. Let's get to the last day that we're going to talk about. And then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. 
And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, He created the male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals. The birds in the sky and the, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. God says, let us make human beings in our own image. He created light, the thing that governs everything we can do in the universe. He made space, infinite, huge space. He made crushing depths of the ocean. He made stars so big we can't even wrap our head around it. He made incredible creatures to run across the earth and yet still, he saw nothing that reflected his own image. So he says, well, we better fix that. So God says, let's create man. Let's create humankind. Let's create you. And so he makes man in his own image. And then if we read on, uh, when Genesis goes into, into depth of how God created it all, it says He formed Adam from the dust and then He breathed life into His nostrils. You know, on your breath, there are small, tiny, little microscopic particles of saliva. And in that saliva contains your DNA. God breathed His DNA into the nostrils of Adam and said, you are my image. You are the thing in my creation that reflects me the most. And you are the one that I want a relationship with. You are the one that I will trust my creation with. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, it says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. Some translations say handiwork. Some say work of art. My favorite though is we are God's masterpiece. That whole universe that we explored and we are His masterpiece. Are you starting to feel a little bit more significant now? 
Let us create man in our own image. Let me create a masterpiece that reflects me. And so he creates man, but then the sad part of the story is we we fell short. He said, I want relationship with you. And we said, no. He said, he said I, I, I want you to follow me. And we said, no, I, I think my way seems to be better. And so we sin and we're separated from God and we've fallen short. His own masterpiece fell short. But that's not where the story ends. God is a loving God. And He says, you know what? I'm not giving up on my masterpiece. I'm not giving up on the one who holds my DNA. I'm not giving up on you. And so Romans 5.8 says this. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still separated from, our, from Him, He said, I am going to send my Son to take the punishment so that you don't have to. I'm going to send my Son to conquer death so that it has no hold. I'm going to send my son to create a way that we can be together again, just like an artist and his masterpiece should be. While we were still sinners. Church, if you are here tonight and you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you would say that you are a Christian, the amazing news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But here's the even cooler part. If you're in this place and maybe you haven't received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe you would say, look, I'm not a Christian. Maybe it doesn't interest you. Maybe you've never really thought about it. Maybe it's hurt you in the past. Maybe someone's hurt you in the past and you've gone, it's just not working. I just don't get it. It just doesn't make sense. I just don't want it. You know what the coolest thing is? That Christ died for you as well while you're still a sinner, while we still fall short, Christ died for us. Are you starting to feel a little bit more significant now? Church, will you stand with me? some incredible things that God has made. We have seen some incredible things that God has done tonight. And I hope at some stage you said, wow. But the most incredible thing that God did, that God has done for us, is right there in Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The God of all the universe, the God that is over everything, loves you so much that He says, I cannot 
stand to see you apart from me. And so I wonder while every eye is closed tonight, I wonder if there's someone here who maybe hasn't received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Maybe you would not say you're a Christian. Maybe you would say that you're not a part of God's family. And I wonder if, if that's you and maybe tonight you're, you're thinking, you know what, I actually, I actually like the idea of being close to this almighty God. I actually like the idea of being a part of a family that I am loved. I like the idea of being a part of a family that cares so deeply about me that it was willing to sacrifice His one and only Son. If you would like to begin tonight your relationship with the Almighty Father, I just wonder as a sign of submission to God, I just wonder if you just raise your hand right now. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, I just wonder if you would just raise your hand as a sign. Church, we're going to stay in this atmosphere of worship just for a moment. We're going to sing along with the worship band. And if that was you that made a decision just then, I'm going to come up in a moment. I'm going to pray with you. But right now, why don't we just sing? Why don't we just lift up the name of our great, incredible God? Thank you for joining us in the podcast. For more information about Desert Life Church, go to desertlifechurch.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day and remember, you belong here.